Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris. Today, uh, my guest, this is quite this is quite a special one for me. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying this to big him up or embarrassing embarrass him, but um, Robert is my former chairman of uh, the trade association where I was the CEO. Um, And actually probably bigger than that is uh, a friend. Uh, I feel blessed to call him a friend. Um, But actually he played a very, very pivotal part and role in my life of being uh, one of the few mentors that I've had who really helped support, guide me, uh, challenge me, and at times really be, be frank and fearless. Um, the other thing is, is that actually when I when I reached out to him and asked him to be a guest, um, I was actually quite surprised but honoured that he said yes because Robert is a very very private person, and he isn't very often in the public domain. Uh, if you were to search for him, you probably wouldn't find him. Um, he's one of the few people that I know who are still not on any levels of social media. Um, and there's reasons behind that, and I'm sure that we'll cover it as we go through the episode. Robert, welcome. Thank you, Adam. Welcome, and good to hear your voice. Uh, let's start with right back at the beginning. What's the earliest memory that you've got around business, entrepreneurship, uh, and seeing opportunities? It started when I was a young man, I'd say about 19, and I was working in the office equipment industry. After a few years, uh, I was recognized as somebody that could work in management. I was put on a management training scheme, and that kind of meant a lot to me because I really uh, looked up to my directors in that company and I felt quite honoured to be a 19-year-old that was being introduced to a management training scheme. And I really embraced it. And I went with it uh, with completely open eyes. And I loved the feeling of being able to challenge myself and also being able to improve the business. And that was the start of the process. And I, I guess... It was a guy called Chaz West who gave me that opportunity. He was the service director at the time of this company. And he kind of was my early mentor. And then he gave me the opportunity to manage a team of people. And it started from there. And I saw the opportunities then of empowering people, giving people confidence, giving people self-belief and cutting the boundaries down of the problems that people imagine that they're going to have when they want to run their own business. And actually, those barriers, majority of them are in your head. So that gave me the belief that I could do it. So up to the age of 19... What did you think that you were going to do as a, as a career? Did you have any ideas before then? I was looking for a, a solid position. I wanted a career. I started as an engineer 
and I wanted to uh, uh, achieve uh, and I wanted to be good. What was the biggest change for me was I used to play football at a reasonable level. And at the age of 21, I snapped my cruciate ligament in my right knee. And that meant that I couldn't play football anymore, uh, which meant that I wouldn't be going to training twice a week and I wouldn't be playing two games of football a weekend. So it gave me the opportunity to put my energy into something else. And at the time, I was achieving very well at work. And I was a, a manager and then I was able to put my focus away from uh, my sports and my hobbies and I put that into work. You, you mentioned before about uh, a lot of the issues that individuals have got is in their in their heads. So 19, Chaz has given you this opportunity, you're kind of doing this management training what, what did that mean for you in understanding that? And did you understand it at that point? I, I did understand it because the way it was delivered to me was in a very basic format. So I remember we part of the training, we, we had to read a book, and that book was called The One Minute Manager. And it was a very small book. It didn't have any pictures. And it basically walked you through the basic steps of managing people, which is the key to success, mm -hmm. having the right team. So that, that was the starting path. But I clearly understood it because it wasn't delivered in a complicated way. Do you, do you think your, your peers, not just within the organisation, but... Uh other people that were of similar age because you know I, I, there's a similarity in the fact that I, I, I get and understand I think for me it was probably a few years later than that but to have that level of foresight at 19 was probably quite different to your peers I think it was uh, and that's because when you're that age you're normally in a like a group you know you're hanging around with your friends you've got different groups of friends and it's more about going out, having fun and, and everything else. Of course, we all need that. And I felt that when I was doing the management training, I felt that I kind of had something special, a bit different at that age because none of my other friends were doing this. And so I kind of, I kind of it, it encouraged me to, to do better at it because I, I felt like I had an opportunity and a chance to better myself, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. So, um, did was Chaz the person that saw something in you before you saw it in yourself? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so, totally. as you've gone throughout your career, how has managing straight leading people been important to you? And what do you believe... Uh, are the fundamentals in what you have to do and not do? I think you have to encourage people. I think you have to give people uh, a roadmap and you have to give them clear direction about their responsibilities and about where the business is going and how they fit into that business and where the opportunities are. 
Now, words are easy said because as a manager, you've got to make them happen. If you promise something you cannot deliver, it's probably the worst thing you can do. So make sure that what you promise your staff and the direction and the roadmap you give them is absolute. Yeah, of course you can change it along the way. We all have to change things at, at, at certain times because life is never that straightforward. But at least give them something that is achievable and they can, they can understand it. Um, just before we kind of got on the recording, you were talking about this aspect of uh, old school, a level of simplicity um, and doing the basics. What does that mean? Well, I think elements like trust. So if you're managing people, the people you're managing have to trust you. And you also have to trust them. It has to be equal. Because without trust, then there's doubt. And when there's doubt, it affects your way of thinking. And maybe it affects the way that you respect people. And respect comes from things being uh, achieved and having that working relationship and it's not easy and it's not straightforward and it does take time to build but you have to give it time too so if you can gain the trusts and on both sides then I think you start having a real solid relationship that you can then build on. Um, is trust given or earned Trust has to be earned by both parties. You, you, any manager that is an authoritarian is started on the it starts on the wrong road. So yeah, I think you have to be capable uh, to work and to achieve and to show the people that work for you and with you that you can work consistently that your message is consistent, that the way you behave and your attitude is consistent. So they form the trust and then they mm. kind of mirror image you in a sense because you show them that this works. And as I said earlier, if it doesn't work, okay, we're adapted, we're changing. So after mm -hmm. a period, you kind of get the ball rolling and then be like a snowball rolling down the hill. You know, it starts small, and as it goes, it grows. And then you start to build a strong what, team. What happens if along that journey, the trust is lost from either side? Is it irreplaceable? Um, you know, can you think of situations where that has happened, and how, how have you dealt with that? I think people always should be given another chance in life. And I think there's so many different influences and facets that can affect relationships and i think working relationships are key i mean we spend most of our time at work so we really have to work at it and those relationships and i think you should have like a, a three-step approach to it so if somebody in you know let's say does something which is unusual or not on the radar i think you need to take a step back and have a look at it and you need to look at all the different mm -hmm. elements, maybe somebody's personal life, may, maybe influences within the company, maybe uh, influences outside of the company. And I think when, when you get 
a full picture or the, the fullest picture you can get your hands on, then I think you can go, okay, uh, let's address the points that where it went wrong, have the meeting, agree on a method of re resolving those points and then give somebody another chance and uh, with an open hand, you know, uh, then uh, see what happens. If the same thing happens again, then you've got to ask yourself a question. Did you miss something or did the other person also miss something? So readdress it again, go back, have another bite of the cherry, see how we get on. And then on the third occasion, I, I think you then have to be kind of honest to somebody and explain mm -hmm. to them what went wrong and how we got to this point. And I think then it comes, with, not to coin a phrase, it kind of comes like a final warning, but at least they're fully aware of it and it's not been a shock mm -hmm. and you haven't bullied them, you haven't threatened them, you haven't sort of embarrassed them in front of their other key team or members or people within the organisation. And I think, that, again, back to trust, they trust you. They accept, okay, there's a problem and it was dealt with in a reasonable, fair and honest way. Uh, if you can't then achieve it, you have to then shake hands and say, we tried, we need to go our, our separate ways. Yeah, so there's a couple of things for me on that which I think are, are really key. I'm often talking about the aspect of, you know, you've really got to, before judging um, what somebody has done or not done, actually you need to have the empathy and understand the situation that they found themselves on. Give them the opportunity to share what they did and what was their frame of thinking as to the decision that they that they made. I think for me that's important. I think the second thing then is, and I always question myself and I, I encourage other people to, to say, okay, as the manager stroke leader, did I give that person the conditions for success? Did I inform, educate, train, um, set the right expectation in the accountability? Did I give them the conditions that was going to mean that they were going to succeed? Or actually, do I have to take some responsibility in saying that I've not I've not necessarily delivered as much as I should? Um, and I think for me, that then creates the the conversation, which then means that it's a it's a dialogue instead of, uh, I suppose, a disciplinary where, you know, that a lot of people are quite quick to blame and point finger. Um, and actually, I think sometimes we need to just, you know, yeah, I know. I, I think the, from my experience, the reality is, ninety percent of the problems that happen within the workplace are normally related to something outside of the workplace, and then I think the next ten percent is something within the workplace that isn't right. And like quite rightly, what you say is it the way you structured things? Is it the way you're communicating to people, etc. And you need to identify it because without identifying, you can't you can't deal with it. And you can't learn from it. I, I I've been faced with so many challenges with members of staff and management and and boards of directors and even shareholders too, whereby I hadn't seen it coming, or it's something new, or it's been a shock, or whatever. 
but I've always applied the same science to it. Find out what mm-hmm. the issue is. Find out what the problem. Take your time. You know, you, you didn't get into bed with somebody. Uh, you didn't employ somebody. You didn't befriend somebody without an original reason. I, I guess it's like when you when you meet somebody, you fall in love. You, you know, you decide to get married. You have a great. Uh, parties you know you have a great wedding everybody comes everybody's happy etc etc you go on the honeymoon after them you get back to reality back to life and it's no probably different than when you first start your new job because it's all Mm -hmm. exciting you know you're excited the management the 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 company's excited the people are excited at work because there's a new person that's going to help out and all sorts of things but after a, a period then we get back to reality. And it's only then that you really find out whether somebody is suitable to the business or, or whether you're suitable to them and the like. And, of course, in all these situations, there is a, there is a chemical element to it. In human nature, as we all know, for some reason, you just don't like somebody. You don't know why you don't mm-hmm. like somebody. There's a feeling that you just don't like them. And that can happen. And that can happen within the team as well. So, and I don't think you can ever know that before that feeling comes. So that's not a problem because that's normal life. And when when it does mm-hmm. come, then you've got to find a way of, of maybe dealing with that. Because that can't be a reason on its own. I just don't like them is a reason you don't want to work with them or they shouldn't be within the company. So sometimes you have to accept these things. and But that's okay because that can be part of the plan. You remind me of a quote, uh, issue plus response equals outcome. And... Definitely for me, as the years have gone by, in the fact of acknowledging that we can't change the issue or the situation, but actually it's the response that's the thing that we can own. And if we uh, act in a humble, compassionate, um, objective perspective, is that actually we can then, uh, you know, change the outcome. And I think um, the events of the last 18 months have definitely shown and proven to me that those that are frank and fearless in their in their leadership style first and foremost for themselves uh, but also then with how they're dealing with people is that you can uh, accelerate the change that needs to happen um just want to uh, ask you the question you know the the situations that happen not just within business but in life has age had an impact on you in the fact that what you know now with you know, with, with uh, uh, in being wise, how's that impacted you as the years have gone by in the decisions that you make now compared to maybe what you were doing, you know, in you know between nineteen and kind of twenty three or whatever. You mean, do you get stale and crusty? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> it's a bit like a loaf of bread. Yeah. Um, of course, the more experience you have maybe the better, better the way you can deal with things. Uh, I always say you're always faced with new challenges and 
you call you call upon your previous experiences to to resolve something or to move something on. Totally agree. I think when you get older, you you have more of an ability to take a step back, and you also have more of ability to understand the value of time. I think when you're young, we're talking young in your twenties, early thirties, you you're more in a rush, and the frustration is you want to get the decision made now. Yeah. And I understand that. But I guess in reality, that's why most companies generally are run by older people mm-hmm. or the team is made up maybe a half-half or something, older people and younger people. So you've got the, the young, the energy the ideas, and then you've got the, we will sit and ponder and think about it, and we will make, when we make the decision, we will try and make the right decision. Mm. Because in reality, when you make the decision, you've got to stand by it. And if you make the wrong decision, it takes often 10 times more work to correct that decision than if you would have just stood still for, a little bit longer, you would have saved yourself a lot of time and effort rather than rushing into it. So I think that's what age gives you, a plus the knowledge, of course. Yeah. Do you know what? Listening, I'm, I'm reflecting on the time when I was the CEO and you were you were my chair. Um, and I do distinctly remember your your calmness and your objectivity. In you know, I, I was I was. A, you know younger and hungry and I suppose it was the speed and the excitement of getting things done um and I I, re- I remember just being like a sponge and just observing you and, and and soaking up almost like this wise sage and just kind of going yeah but Robert come on we need to move fast it's like no 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 just slow down let's just see how this was you know it's going to pan out and I you know distinctly remember um a number of the conversations that we were having with the with the Americans and you know, it was kind of we were playing a game, but you, you, it always felt that you were playing a different game to the one that I was playing, uh, and I massively learned a huge amount from you during that process. Um, you know, uh, and had a lot of fun and a really enjoyable time at the same point. Yeah, I mean, we always must remember that having fun is a really important part of our, our working lives because. As we said earlier, you spend most of your time at work. And if you're not physically at work, you're physically thinking about work. So you've got to have some fun. Uh, and that mean, that doesn't mean tiggling each other with a feather. Uh, that means, you know, seeing some enjoyment out of achieving things together, having some smiles, looking at the funny side of life. I mean, uh, us Brits, we, we're, we're very sort of sarcastic and, uh, and we do look at things in quite quite a bizarre way. Uh, we like a cup of tea to sort most things out. And even though, you know, everybody's got their barrels pointing at us, we still get up and, and jump over the wall uh, and, and go and face it head on. Mm. So, and I think that's what we do. So if I think back to that time when we were working with negotiating with the Americans uh, over a, a merger and acquisition, that's exactly what we were doing. I think we were... We were going to them, and we and we were we were showing that we weren't afraid, 
uh, and we were being frank and honest and open and we weren't playing any political games and we weren't we were looking all, we were looking after all of the stakeholders mm-hmm. that were involved and we were thinking about how it affected everybody and i think we the deal went along the lines of we wanted to make sure that all of our stakeholders and the people involved were all catered for nobody came away with a loss or a negativity there was something for everybody Mm. and i think when we originally started that particular journey they they had the the gung-ho type attitude which was we just do this we just take you over we take your assets we do this we move it and there you go and it and like okay then that's all well and good but we want a bit more than that so we want like some security we want uh some contracts in place we want a bit more longevity we want people to be able to be part of the new organization and alike so they then had to come back with a different type of negotiation rather than just take you over take your assets and wave goodbye so and i think we were respected for that and i I actually i know we were respected Mm -hmm. because as it as as it kind of panned out uh, over the, the period of the two years which always takes at least a year to, from the start of the conversations to the, you know getting to the to the paperwork that needs to be signed, and then there's the the kind of the aftermath, the warranties and all the other bits that need to be achieved, the handovers and everything else. But it, these people did respect us mm. uh, because they wanted to have meetings with us and they wanted to see us and they invited us to the states, etc. So I think. We did get what, what what we deserved in a sense, uh, but we did kind of take control in a certain way of how it unraveled over the acquisition period. Because initially, I think we were, we were both frightened that it was just going to be wham, bang, thank you, ma'am, and we'd all be left standing. So... And that, that took some tricky negotiation because we, we started then working with individuals within their organisation uh, rather than just dealing with their acquisition team, as an example. So we started to win, you know, not so much favouritism, but we started to explain the real mechanism of, of that business mm-hmm. and how it really worked and how, you know, the members and the customers and the suppliers, how, how everybody was like, brought in together so it was an interesting uh journey (laughs) and one that we might have spoke the same language i we all the americans spoke english and and we also speak some form of english um but we are it proved that we are also some ways different in the way that we kind of think and which I found probably the most interesting part of that journey because I'd done business over in the States and uh, you know, from supply line, I've had customers and, and friends too. But when we went through that uh, acquisition and merger, it opened my eyes up a, mm. a lot more because I really saw uh, the way that they kind of think about business compared to kind of the way 
we, we think about business in in Great Britain, say, or in the United Kingdom. Uh, and I think that, in summary, was, is quite clear. I think they they seem to have a more faster pace, uh, aggressive yeah. attitude, where money and power uh, can overrule mm-hmm. everything. Uh, I think we're uh, in the United Kingdom. We, we're we're a bit more staid. We we like routines. We, we like nostalgia. Uh, we, we like those elements that give us comfort or, or, or make or make something have a worth. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a branding, uh, a, a place within an industry, uh, thing people that look up to you maybe for doing the good things and the like. So. There was a there was that clear difference, but it was a, it was a great journey. That's for sure, and I'd do it again absolutely. And it's no um, yeah. it's even different here in New Zealand. Um, you know, uh, yeah. You know, I suppose speaking the same language, but culturally so so different in the way that um, that business is done. And I, I think one of the things that you have to appreciate uh, and respect is is that you kind of got to acknowledge those differences. Um, yeah, because sure. if you go in gung ho and say this is the way it's going to be done, you'll end up pissing people off very fast, very quickly. Yeah, um, for sure. Absolutely and you just don't right. do any, you know, you don't do yourself or anybody else any favors. Um, what is? I think it's. Di- I think it's yeah. disrespectful. I, I, they, they they're there for a reason, and, and they didn't just happen yesterday. They happened over over many uh, many hundreds of years or whatever. So, I mean, I live in Slovenia now, which is a, a Balkan state, ex-Yugoslavia, uh, and it, it, it is completely different than the UK uh, in, in every way. Business is, is dealt with and conducted here slightly differently. The mentality and attitude is completely different. So we'll, we'll, come, on, we'll come on to how you're in Slovenia in shortly. But So you got to the point of where kind of early 20s – what happened from there and to, you know, what was your first business and how did you kind of get in involved in that? Well, it was, it was interesting because I had no intention of leaving the company I was working for, uh, the company that had given me the opportunity to move into management at such a young age. I, Chaz gave me the, the chance. What actually happened briefly was the company went into receivership because the absolute owner basically uh, was in some ways, let's just say cooking the books at a very high level. I mean, we worked in a company where there was probably 300 staff and 16 branches around the London area. Uh, so it wasn't a small company. and But there, there was some issues that obviously weren't quite correct in the way that the, the company was being financially run and unfortunately it, it went into receivership so each each branch basically two things happened either that they, they they closed or the directors of that branch we're talking about directors as in management but they were on the board yeah they took it over the business from the receiver. So that's what happened. And I was then based in Reading in Berkshire. And one of the new directors or now owner of the business was 
one of the directors from London, uh, which which is somebody I didn't know. And from day one, uh, we never saw eye to eye. And we had completely different principles about how, how things should work, how things should run. He was out and out sales. I was service related and we just clashed and after a few years I decided to go my own way and start my own business and it's probably because of that that prompted me because when I think back if that probably hadn't happened Mm. who knows I could have still been there if the company was still there but it was because of that I didn't want to work under that type of management and as much as I tried they weren't prepared to budge or move or whatever so I then went out on my own literally with a van and a toolcase and went out networking knocking on doors and building up a client base Hmm. so which was good and it was exciting. Didn't have much money. All the money kind of went back into the business. It took a you know it took a small amount of money, obviously, to help live. I I had support, which was I was lucky. I uh, so from my family, you know, not in monetary terms, but I had a place to live, which is the most expensive part of your life, and. I took it forward from there, slowly building the business up. I was always a good networker, so I met some, um, met loads of different people, and I met one guy that I decided to merge my business with his business. He was more into another side of the uh, office equipment world, more into the computing side. I was more into the uh, photocopies in those days and facsimile uh, voice recording systems and the like and we, we merged the business and uh, we then took that business forward and then we just kept on building so we then took over another company that was system building uh, in those days people used to build computers and servers I mean amazing huh um, and used to brand them your own name. You didn't just buy them off of Dell. You know, it was quite quite interesting. So through acquisitions and mergers, in we're talking small acquisition and mergers. We're not talking, you know, big. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's not the value. It's the fact that, yeah. that that from a very early age, I realized the strength in acquiring businesses or merging is a faster way to grow. Mm-hmm. than trying to build up your business by gaining new customers and having new products. Now, of course, that is not 100% true, but it is one way of fast tracking. And it doesn't always have to involve uh, huge amounts of uh, finance because uh, at the end of the day, a deal is a deal. Mm-hmm. So... That's kind of how I started in a very basic way. 
So, um, two things I want to pick up on. One, it's really, I, I hear you speak there, and like the you know that that story about how you left the uh, the previous employer and started on your own. I don't think I actually knew knew that. Um, but it's funny how there's a similarity in how I had, how we ended up working together because there was a similar mm. situation in the fact that absolutely um, yeah I would say the ex, same yeah my ex business partner uh, we did not have the same outlook um, and definitely not the same uh, values and ethos um, mm. how would how would you describe uh, in three or four words what what your core values are. I would like to think that I am honest and trustworthy. I think I am. I am very straight to the point and not frightened of saying what I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm not frightened of standing up for myself. And I think that strength has taken me forward. Yeah. I've worked in the small business sector, SMEs. I've not really worked in the corporate environment, so I'm not sure whether I would survive in that environment with having the type of attitudes that I have, being outspoken, not you know prepared to go knock on the door and, and speak to somebody face to face, express myself, and not not just about what I think, but also express how I feel mm -hmm. about something. So it's worked for me in the space that I've worked in mm -hmm. and the people that I've employed also work in that environment. What do you think that you've missed out on because of your values? I think my weakness, let's say my Achilles heel, is probably I haven't taken big risks over my time. So I don't know how they would have ever worked out because I never took them. Mm -hmm. But I am slightly risk adverse. I'm not I'm not extreme. I would say I'm medium. Mm -hmm. So is that a weakness? Mm, I'm not sure. Because you never know what would have happened if I'd have taken those risks. I think for people that have worked for me, I think they've been comfortable because they know or they understood that I wouldn't take those risks and put their, potentially their jobs or, or, or their living at risk. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a believer in cash is king. I believe in building up strong reserves within the company that allows you to have security that allows you to go through the, the rough patches. I've very rarely borrowed money because I have a principle about borrowing money, uh, which is personal, which does affect obviously my thoughts in business. But again, I have borrowed money uh, in business mainly to support cash flow and mainly to buy uh, you know, to or to lease equipment, um, but again, that's been quite low level. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the risk averse 
side of it in me. So I've I've never over borrowed, let's say, or gone to extremes. I've always sort of tried to hit the middle. Let's say I need need new vehicles. You know, I look at the situation and I, I will probably go for the middle rather than replace the whole fleet. Let's say I might replace half and then I might feather out the rest over, over a period of time that, that kind of met the cash flow of the business. And then I think the other key one is I've always go the third, third and third. So I say, OK, it generally in life, my principle is you spend a third. A third is for what you're going to need in the near future and you keep a third back in reserve like save a third Mm -hmm. absolute rainy day but you know it's there and the last thing you want to do is touch it but you know it's there so i kind of apply the same same method with the finance in the businesses so is that a weakness i don't know well you've 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 been uh, in my eyes, uh, on my benchmark, uh, you've been successful, um, and you've taken a pragmatic and a you've you've ha- you've had a strategy, and that strategy has worked for the businesses that you've been involved in, uh, and the way that you've built things up. So, you know, um, if you'd have yeah, if you'd have I, taken I, I that, think if you'd have taken that big risk, it might have paid off, and you might have got yeah. to where you are quicker, but then you might have lost it all. Well, this is it. You never know, do you? I always find in, in these subjects, yeah, I could have maybe done more. I could have done worse. Yeah, I think working in, in the SME business space, I think I've achieved what you should achieve uh, or what is potentially what you can achieve. I think the values, well, a value is a value. Uh, so, it's more the achievement than the value. People always say to me, well, how much did you get for, for that company you sold? And I go, well, the, what did I get? I, I, I got what, what was best for the business and best for the people in the business and also what was best for me. So I see that as that was a win-win and also for the, the, that, the person that, that did the acquisition. So everybody's got a win. So, I, but when it comes down to value, in monetary terms, I never, I never really discuss that because it, it's really it doesn't have a, that much of a meaning. It's just a value. So, but in that value, uh, within the sector I work in, I've I've achieved, you know, what what would be perceived as the, the yeah. right value, let's say, which is important. I mean, when, when you do, let's say, sell a business, uh, you, you, there are values, there are benchmarks, as, as you know yourself, and I've achieved those benchmarks on, on every occasion. So I haven't undersold, I haven't oversold. Uh, it's been sold at, at the right price, but price is only one aspect of it. There's it, always been... What about the customers? What about the suppliers? What about the staff? What about the branding, the name, and, and, and the like? But these things do take time. You know, it's, it's uh, I don't know how many of I 
one, two, including the small ones, I've probably sold uh, probably five companies now. Does that make time. you a serial entrepreneur? Well, I don't know. Uh, may, may, maybe, but it's funny, Adam, but I've always, I've always set the objective is build the business, build the asset worth, build the value and be uptight against your competition in the sense of, you know, always be on their heels, you know, of your competition. And if you build the asset worth, you've got good cash flow uh, and you're not overloaned and you've got a good team, you've got good staff, you've got good products and everything else that goes with it, then at some day, somebody's going to come along and say, you're a really good company and you're actually, I'm going to coin a phrase, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, and we're your, you know, we're your, yeah. we're your competition and uh, we're going we're gonna to take you over. You know, we're going to learn something from you and uh, we're going to grow our business because because of the work and effort that you've done. And we are bigger than you. I think in every case, nearly every case, actually, it's always been the big fish comes and eats the small fish, you know. So, but I've never gone looking. So it's not like I've I've advertised the companies mm. for sale. I've been approached on every occasion. And was your strategy always to um, do that, knowing that somebody would come knocking at some point? Yeah, absolutely. So build the foundations, uh, have a solid business uh, with great people valuing all stakeholders and eventually somebody will come knocking on the door because they see that you're either a pain in the arse or B and, uh, and that you've got something that they haven't got and they want to learn from you. Absolutely right. Because it's interesting, you know, when you go to the industry meetings where you're surrounded by your peers, uh, it's interesting the conversations you, you, you get involved, and I know <clears throat> you know you, you absolutely know the value of this because those conversations you start to hear how 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 you're seen within the industry. I mean, we all we all do it with our customers in the areas we work in, but the other side of it is the peers within your industry. Uh, so I was going to ask you um, because. You know, you were you were running your own business, and uh, you took over of, uh, as chair and got involved in um, this not-for-profit trade association that I too was a mem- member of. What, what was your motivation? Uh, a to be a member, uh, and then B to then take the position of, of chair because you didn't need to do to do it. So, but w- why? No. I saw that I saw the value in, in being part of the association because that's where my peers so was that were. Ben, was it benchmarking and to see what other people were doing? That was yeah. That is a form of benchmarking. That is a form of benchmarking. I think you know we're all in our offices. We're we're all absolutely focused on the day to day work, and we're focused on our customers. 
and our staff and our products. We're not so focused on the people within our industry who also have similar companies to us, say, all around the wider area, you know, the country, let's say. So what's the chances of you meeting those people if you're not in the environment where they're all sat at a conference or having a drink or having some food or competing against each other for some annual awards, let's say. So I think that was, that's what interested me in the beginning was that I wanted to speak to like-minded people that had the same issues and struggles Mm -hmm. and challenges that I had within the same industry. And it worked. I think what happened then was that I saw that the people running the organization were were good people, but the the association was kind of going round like a hamster wheel, but not really going forward. And there's no disrespect to anybody because everybody, most people in most associations are working for free. Yeah, there's a few people, say, the administration and maybe the uh, management, the absolute controlling working management, they, they might get some uh, fees, wages, expenses, etc. But generally, they rely on its members and the committees and the board uh, to help out and give direction. So that is something that I think generally happens in associations. So this was no different. And I was asked to join the board of directors again, which is totally, you know, you don't get paid, you don't get expenses. There's X amount of meetings a year. And again, you're, you're, you're working with your peers at a slightly different level because the people that were invited on that board were all quite high achievers in some way or another or they were influencers within the yep. industry of the sector you were in. So you en- you ended up opening up into different conversations that you probably wouldn't have as a, yep. as a member of the association. You were now dealing with certain individuals that were influencers and the conversation was slightly different. So that, that was, that was one reason. The second reason was mm-hmm. I think I, I felt that I could help them. And I felt that I had something to give. So then when I was, after being a director for a few years, when then chairmanship was was up for voting or, 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 yeah, Uh, then my name was put forward and I was voted in. So I would like to think that I, I, I had done a good job and that I'd given uh, a lot to the to the association which of course I also gained a lot out of it it was a win-win situation uh and when I then took over that position I was more in the right position to start making the changes of which I then carried out having the knowledge of being a member being a director and then understanding what was kind of needed and the absolute feeling was that we need to move this association on and we need to merge that with another association, which yeah. 
as more of a global presence. And obviously that's where we ended up with the Americans, which are the biggest, one of the biggest associations in the world. And that was the best thing that our association could do to make itself um, a -hmm. bigger organization, offer more value to, to its members and also be able to have a longevity, be around for the next whatever years. I think when you're, when you're, we had say a thousand members, which doesn't sound a lot, but in, in an industry whereby in our sector, there was probably only uh, something like maybe 15, 13 to 15,000. I remember these figures being banded around. That was extreme. I think the reality was there was probably six to 7,000 independent, established people within the industry. And we, we had 1,000 signed up members uh, within that group, which is pr- pretty strong. So I was told that was that was pretty strong position to be in. So... But also, I think in uh, in an unregulated space as well. I think that was, that was uh, no, important. absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I think regulation was it, it was needed, is needed, and it's still not there because you know that industry from a government level is is seen as administration, uh, and it was technology, and technology is a big influencer. Which is proven, I mean, over the last, I mean, we're talking this journey to do with the association. I started in probably mid-90s or towards 96, 97, 98, somewhere around there. And we grew the members and we were acquired by the US in some time like, you might have to jug my memory, but 2008, nine, something like that, around that, around that time. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. But the, the point here, the main point is, is, you know, we saw the opportunity. We wanted to get on the bigger stage yeah. and merging, you know, was the right, right way forward. And it benefited everybody. Everybody came out a winner. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because uh, I know that you're not on uh, social media channels, Um but I still see the events that they run and a number of the people that, you know, were our members are still actively yeah. involved. And, you know, I, I, I often, I see the, in fact, the, the annual conference was only a couple of weeks ago, yeah, actually. Yeah. And I saw, I saw the pictures and it was just like, yeah, um, we absolutely did the, did the right thing. I just want to ask mm. you something because, you know, I, I distinctly remember you know, the, the impact that you have had on my life has been, you know, uh, massive. Uh, and I, I distinctly remember I'd made the decision to leave my ex-business partner. Um, I went home to my uh, uh, to Naomi, my wife, who was pregnant and said, I've just sold my share in the business and I don't have anything to do. Um and I remember that you, I called about five or six people and I, I don't know why I called you because whilst we knew each other, I wouldn't necessarily say at that point we knew each other very well. Um, but you, you saw something in me uh, that I probably didn't know and couldn't see. 
Uh, and I, I'm just interested to know kind of what that, that what that was. I think because you are a natural networker, you are able to talk to people, communicate with people. You're able to stand on the stage and address people. You This comes kind of natural to you. And I think whilst the association did have people that could do that, I think you were at a different level. And I think the association needed somebody like you. I think also you had a lot of ideas which were different. I think you were embracing uh, social media and alike. I think we you know that in those times it's hard to you know, we, we we talk about it like it was in the black and white days, like it was a hundred years ago. We're only talking ten years ago. I mean, but but you were embracing modern modern technology and you were embracing uh, also modern techniques and looking at things differently mm-hmm. and alike. Uh, and I think that that was that was key that needed that breath of fresh air and you also not not i wouldn't say the word radical would be a bit strong but there is an element of of that in yourself that sometimes you you can be uh maybe it's taken that way but actually it's not you're prepared to look at different ways of doing things Give it a chance. Give it a go. Try it out. You're not. You're not frightened, or you're not. Let's say, oh, we only do it this way, or we only do it that way. You're a bit more open-minded, and you're a good communicator. And I think that that's that was the key, really. And you were available because you'd sold your share. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you didn't realise you were available. <laughs> So, Robert, I, I distinctly remember, uh, and I, I remember exactly where we were. I remember sitting in the hotel, and we were discussing uh, me coming on board, uh, working with you in the organisation. And you said to me, you said, hey, Adam, uh, I want to give you the title of CEO. And I'm like, oh, what's a CEO? I don't know. Um, but do you know what? Me having that role and having that title had a massive impact on what I did subsequently. So I didn't I didn't realize at the time I didn't fully appreciate and understand the enormity and the per, uh, perception of what a CEO uh, was or is. But if it wasn't for that, uh, I really don't know that I would be sitting where I am now because leading on from being a CEO with you uh, then led me once we'd done the uh, acquisition into the Americans, uh, then allowed me to join um, the CEO uh, group Vistage and run mastermind and uh, peer groups for CEOs, which I did with them for nearly 10 years and I continue to do, do, do so today. How important is a job title? I think in s- some ways it's extremely important. I think when, it, when, it's, when it's a team, you've got to have the person that that's managing the team you've got to have a person that's uh is the let's say the second in command you know, you've got to have like a uh, order let's say uh 
and people need to know where where to go to if they like have a problem or they they need advice uh so you got to have team leaders and you know you got to have management i, I think titles are there are important because it gives identity i think on the other side of it if you're a small company and there's three of you, you it's difficult all and you all three of you own the company that say it's all difficult difficult sometimes to have to have titles that are that important because the business is slightly different type of thing. You're the owner. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. when you get the situation that you just explained, I think because you're dealing – mainly we were dealing with most of our supply line, which is all sponsors really, uh, what were yeah. corporate companies, they expected – the correct titles in place so if if, you know if you're running the business normally let's say you might be called a manager uh but that's okay but in corporate business a manager is is somebody that's in charge of a certain sector within the business and a ceo is somebody that is in charge of the business so i think it's important then and if we say it, at that time, if we used you, what you just said about the association as an example, if we'd have said, you, mm. Adam, you're going to come in as a manager, then when you were negotiating with the big corporate sponsors, they would have said, well, okay, I, I take on board. Can, we, can, we, can you speak to your boss, Adam? Because we want you to, yeah. to, to you know, uh, do things differently or we want a better deal or we want a different deal or whatever, then we, 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 we would have just been putting, uh, you know, there was a board behind you, of course, but you were able to yeah. make decisions. If, if it was 50% was, was the deal that was on the table today, you had the authority to, to take the deal and sign it off. So that was important. That was important. Cool. cool. So uh, last couple of questions. Um, so you're now in Slovenia. Uh, tell us a little bit, bit about Slovenia and how the hell did you end well, up Well, Slovenia is an interesting place because most people don't even know where it is. Even though it's part of the, the EU, part of the 27 countries, or the 26 now, I think in the UK is probably left. Um, so everybody thinks it's Slovakia and it's not. Slovakia is north, it's, it's next to Czech. Uh, Slovenia is at the top of the Adriatic Sea. It borders Italy, Austria, Hungary and Croatia. It's got two million people. 75% of the country's forestation, it's alpine, it has its own coast, even though it's small, and it's kind of a little jewel, and I only ever drove through it before I actually came to kind of to, to be here or, or to have more knowledge about the place. I, I, I met my partner when I was on holiday in Greece, and she was Slovenian, and over a period of time we got to know each other, and then I came to... to to live here and we have a son together and and a like normal you know normal normal family business and yes there was a decision that obviously should i stay in the uk or, or should i should i should i come here and to be honest i actually felt it was time for a change i fancied a change mm-hmm. in life and i fancied a new challenge say so they, they kind of tied in as well as it's a beautiful country it, it it's amazing you know i can be on the coast 
within less than an hour, I, I can be in the mountains less than an hour. We mainly live in the city, which is Ljubljana. And yeah. you've got so much that you can do at your fingertips that it's not big, big, big miles, big travel and the like. The people are friendly. Majority of people speak English here. The food is amazing oh, and the like. Okay. So there's lo- loads of ticks uh, which which make it, uh, you know, quite a nice place place to be. So it's, so it's quite funny because there's some similarities. Okay, it's not a country, but uh, with where I'm living Absolutely. in New Zealand, which is a place yeah. called New Plymouth, um, the beach is five minutes uh, walk from where I'm currently doing this podcast. Mm. And if I look out the window, I can see... Uh, a mountain called Mount Taranaki. And famously here, you can uh, go skiing in the morning mm. and go surfing in the afternoon. Same. Or vice and versa. the same here. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, and, and, yeah. I, and I would, you know, I think, I think I would say that quality of life has its place. So I lived in London a good part of my life. I moved to the Manchester area for the rest, for the other part of my life. London, I was in some ways pleased to, 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 to move away from because of it was, it was fast and it was furious and, you know, y- you had to be in it. You had to be, you couldn't, you couldn't stand on the sideline. You had to be in that mm-hmm. environment. You had to be the, kind of all the same if that makes not all the same as people but you had to join the rat race that's as they call it when i when i moved to the uh to north up to manchester yeah it was it was it was a different step back etc but after being there for you know 10 15 years it was going the same way in a sense manchester liverpool was booming you know it was becoming uh, a very successful area and the like and it's interesting that the same sort of pressures on people and the, the lack of time and travel and everything else was just coming back to where, where I kind of left in London, um, mm. which is great. And, but I think I just got to the stage where I, I, I wanted to be kind of a, a step out of that because it kind of clutters your mind in a lots of ways, but also y- your standard of living suffers. It, it does. Yeah. And, I want you to try and let's say experience a, a different type of life. That doesn't mean that I'm still I'm not active. I am very active, but I don't feel that I'm part of the rat race to be active. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So last question. Um, being the wise old owl that you are, um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. It's interesting because I can I've seen your face as we've been recording this. Is that um. Uh, you look older than the last time I saw you. Um, <laughs> that was 10 years ago. What, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I know. Um, knowing <clears> what <throat> you know now, uh, what if you were to go back to that, uh, probably 20, so, you, you know, just after Chaz has put you on this management training, if you were to go back to that point, what's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Because I sense even at that age, you would listen to that advice. Um, what's the advice that you would give yourself uh, at that point so I'm back in my twenty early 20s yeah and I've got to give myself some advice that will carry me through the next period yeah into yeah. my 
middle age? That's the question. I would say have the ability to take a step back, look at things before you actually make a decision is probably number one. Mm-hmm. I think when you're 20, it's really hard to do that. But if you could, and you can, then you might see things differently. Such uh, sage advice. Um, take that pause. Stop. Create a gap. Don't just instantaneously react. Give yourself the time and the space to think. Um, ab- absolute gold dust. I mean, don't get me wrong. We Sometimes in life, in certain situations, you have to make a decision now. You absolutely yeah. have to. But you, you, I think you have to be aware that you have to. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you can have a mid-decision timescale or you can have a long-term. You've you just got to be able to think on your feet about what is the right way to approach something. And I think when you're young, you're, you're really, you know, you're head on, you're, you're, you're a bull, you know, you're really sort of, you feel you have to say something now. Uh, and sometimes there's a value in, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. And I'll come back to you. Of course, the rule is you must always come back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robert, this has just been, uh, for me, being able to interview uh, one of my friends, one of my coaches, and one of my, uh, most importantly, mentors has been uh, been great. Um, and, And I know that this isn't something that you would do for many people, so I'm blessed to... Uh, and I really, really thank you uh, for doing it. Um, this has been the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. If you like and enjoy this podcast, which I know a lot of you do, the biggest thing that you can do for me is to share it with other people. If you've enjoyed this, you'll know at least one other person that will take value from the conversations that I have with the guests on my show. Uh, please share. Please enjoy. Any comments that you want to write uh, or any questions that you want me to answer, Uh, please get in touch. I'm Adam Harris. I'm your host, Frank Fearless Leadership Podcast. Bye for now.